Hello. Welcome to uh, the talk show. Um, a few things up front before we get started. I want to thank uh, MailChimp. MailChimp is sponsoring this open bar. Uh, so ra raise a glass to MailChimp. You're, everybody here is drinking on their dime. Great email. If you've never heard of them, they do great email newsletters. So uh, go get another drink and then later tonight go, go set up a drunk newsletter with MailChimp. Uh, I want to thank Microsoft, our, our flagship event sponsor. They've got the banners here. This is the second year in a row that they've sponsored this event, uh, Azure Mobile Services. Uh, truly, truly great stuff. A year ago, I think it maybe it was a little bit weirder that Microsoft and their online stuff was sponsoring this show at this conference. And I think this year it's a little bit less weird. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you guys know... Uh, that with the stuff we're doing at Branch with Vesper, we're using them, we're, we build our entire back end on their stuff. Uh, certainly wouldn't do that just because they sponsored the show. I'm happy that they're sponsoring the show because I really like their stuff, really amazing stuff. So if you're building anything with an online component, I really, really encourage you to look at what they have to offer. Um, it's really great even if you're like us and only develop for iOS and, and macOS, even if you're really, really firmly in the Apple developer ecosystem, uh, they have great options, uh, and so check them out. Uh, how many people here have ever checked out Azure Mobile Services? Well, they, we've got to get that up by the end of the night, so maybe I'll go backstage and let you guys investigate uh, your, your online storage needs. Uh, no, I'm going to get started. Uh, so the first part of the show, uh, I have three... Very special guests. I have uh, the guys from ATP, uh, Marco Arment, John Syracuse, and uh, Casey Liss. This is soft. This is cushy. All right, so we've got each got mics. This is uh, nice. It's nice soft Hello. leather. They always put Casey in the middle. Like, yeah, you ever to look? be honest, I was, I was expecting him. to be at the edge. So it'd be, oh, yeah, just, just, just sit there and look pretty for a while. You're good. Even, even when they um, build themselves, it's, I think it's Marco Arment, Casey Liss, and John Syracuse. You're I'm always in the middle. Water, man. I know, it's it's, it's obvious. It's huh? by surname. It, that's well, it flows really nicely that way. You know, Save the best for last. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I, put, I put myself first. I made the site, and that's, I kind of cheated. Um, so big, I, do we all agree this was a... Big WWDC, a big keynote, oh, right? Very this much was, so. Everybody agrees? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I was sitting uh, in the press section two or three seats away from John, and I took a picture. It didn't come out because it's so dark in the area, you know, with the, um, you know, the audience isn't lit. The stage is lit. But I got a picture of him looking happy. <laughs> the, <laughs> We That's were, amazing. We were so disappointed because generally for the last few years, it's been the three of us in the keynote, and we were genuinely disappointed that we couldn't see his, like, victory dance in his seat because, you know, I, I'm assuming that there was some sort of complete spaz attack that happened. And it's like an out-of-body experience. Like, I didn't, I didn't have much recollection of that. Like, when the swift <laughs> slide went up, like, I had, I had already tweeted earlier in the thing, is this real life when he called Dr. Dre? But, so I couldn't use that one again, but it's exactly what I was thinking. Like, is this real life? Does that slide really go up? Well, and, you know, the reality is, like, wild exuberance from John is, you know, just, like, 
<laughs> right. <laughs> I had a big smile. I showed teeth. There are pictures. Yeah. Come on. So they announced, you know, so I forget the exact way they framed it, but it was, look, we've got this SDK, and then there's the awkward thing where Tim Cook had to explain, you know, for everybody out here who's never heard of an SDK, it's a software development kit. And, <laughs> and, and there's this weird thing there where it's like, come on, if, come on, really, you're going to explain what SDK is at a developer conference? I know that this is being simulcast to 100 million people, and there's press, and these people don't really get it, but come on. But, but then, it, you know, it was... We're proud to announce today we're introducing a brand new programming language. And I look over at John, and there was still no reaction. And I think it was like, he, I think his initial thought was, ah, there's got to be a catch. I don't even remember when he said that. I don't, I have, all I remember is the, the orange Swift logo, and that was just, it re, seriously, I have very little recollection. I was just, I was, I was happy. I was just so happy that this was real, that this was really happening. And then, like, everyone else was like, everyone else, like, you're seeing this too, right? It's not, it's not just me. Was it like, was it the Grinch where, like, the smile just, like, very slowly just spreads? In, oh, I can only imagine. I'm very jealous that you got to witness this firsthand. Yeah, I, I, it was the highlight of the keynote for me was seeing his reaction. Because um, it really was, and I feel like then they, they kind of immediately kind of framed it that way, where it was sort of a... If you've been following this platform long enough, you hear new programming language, and it's like, well, is it going to be another bridge? Is it... What do you mean new programming language? Like, new to you, it's going to be Python, or you're going to elevate the Ruby, or, you know... Or is it the real deal? Is it really a new Apple programming language custom built for our frameworks and it's like holy shit yes it is yeah different different syntax it's not objective c 4.0 uh you know all the things that they could have done because the whole debate uh, the, the right. whole debate amongst all of us is like oh why, why do they need a new language they could just do x they could just do y look at how they've improved objective c and it's like you, i mean nobody thought that they would ever settle that <laughs> they'll settle that debate it's, you know it's un, it's unequivocal it looks unlike objective c in any way right. um so how much have you guys looked at Swift so far? Uh, only a little bit. And I didn't go to... Did you? No, you went to the I Swift went to session, the introduction right? to Swift. I mean, if, if we had all just had time to read that big iBooks or PDF thing, right. we would know a lot about it, but we haven't. But I bet if you read that, you know more than you knew from going to that session. Yeah, I mean, I, I, poked, <laughs> I, poked through, I poked through that book with little bits and pieces to see things that I thought like, were interesting. Like, we, we were talking the other night about... Um, how closures were going to be handled and whether or not you need to do memory stuff. And it turns out, yeah, you need to do that. But, I mean, really, I'm just thrilled that it's not Perl because dealing with... dealing with It's you, almost Perl. Well, dealing with the smugness of it just being a new There's language. There's plenty of smugness oh, with I know. the Perl angle on there, too. Although, they list Ruby as a thing, but come on, Ruby is an influence? <laughs> Where do you think Ruby got influenced? All right, I'm going to cut you off because this is my... I, I want to let you guys shine, but... I, I listen to ATP every week. I don't need another episode. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because <laughs> that's a whole. That I, you complaining about Pearl and uh, I forget. We're not. No more Pearl. Last time we yeah, say that wait, word. We have months of material for our show yeah. out of this. Um, when is the last time? I don't know. I did. I like usual. I've done no research. Uh, when is the last time Apple introduced its own programming language? Off the top of my head, I want to say Apple Script. Dylan, maybe. Yeah, Dylan. But Dylan never... Did it ship? Could you ever write an actual thing in the real world using I it? I don't know. Maybe not. Right. Does Quartz Composer count for anything? <laughs> I don't think that's a programming language. I think AppleScript was the well, last... HyperTalk, right? No, AppleScript came after HyperTalk. 
HyperTalk was first. I'm almost sure somebody uh, I'm look it dates. up. Someone in the chat room, look it All up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think well, off the top of my head, I'm going to say HyperCard was like 1989 or so, and AppleScript came out in somewhere in the System 7 era, so it was, I think it was like System 7.1. You could be right. Um, and I think that big picture, not getting down into the nitty-gritty of the details of what Swift is actually like as a programming language, zoom out and just kind of look at it and get the basics. I really do think that it is a very Apple-y programming language, uh, or uh, at least representative of today's Apple, the yeah, modern I was going to say, like, Dylan represents the 90s Apple. Uh, and, and AppleScript. I think yeah. AppleScript is very much a, a language of and and by 1991-92 Apple, where, you know, the whole idea of um, we're not going to make programmers happy, we're going to make regular people programmers. Or even just like the hippy-dippy kind of academic language, like I have a highfalutin idea and I'm going to embody that idea in a beautiful, perfect language or whatever, whereas, the, you know, Swift is pragmatic, it's, it's Chris Latinerized, like it is mm -hmm. 100%, like everything else they've done, it's like down brass tacks, we need this thing to do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to make it, and if it's a little bit ugly, we don't care. Totally pragmatic. Yeah, I, and I compare it. My analogy is to the use of Helvetica throughout the UI on iOS and now on, on OS X. Uh, Helvetica is a great font, and I, I, I've always been a big fan of it, but it's also famously a very plain font. Some people, a lot of people, consider it to be the most neutral font that exists, that, that, that you know, they call it Swiss typography, but that it, you know... I think part of the reason that phrase even comes on, not just that the Swiss use fonts like Helvetica, but that it's this sense of neutrality. And when you use Helvetica for anything, nobody ever says, my God, you're so clever, you found this amazing font that I never heard of. It's a very plain font, and, and I think when, like, when they first unveiled the iPhone, I remember people complained about it, that, wow, what an uninspiring choice, Helvetica. Um, I think Swift is that kind of programming language where there's no real amazing, uh, complicated. It's got weird serifs, though. Like it is, I, I, I think Swift has pointy edges. I think the more you look into it, the more you see some strange. It's kind of more of a mongrel. Like it's like Helvetica, but occasionally, like they have like dingbats in the middle of a couple or, of letters. <laughs> right. It's like Helvetica, and they've added uh, a couple of uh, Apple-specific emoji right to the main <laughs> lang right to the main character set. Um, so you, Marco, you haven't looked at it yet, so... Well, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's not PHP, you know. Um, I, I've, I've looked at it, you know, for ten minutes. So, you know, none of us, well, unless there's random Apple people here, although even they didn't use much of it yet, but uh, none of us have really used it yet. You know, we, we're not going to know whether it's a good language or not for a while. You know, it's going to, because it, it takes, you have to almost master a language to really know whether it's good or not. And usually most languages aren't you know, categorically good or bad. There's you know, pluses and minuses. So I think right now you can look at it the same way that when a whole rush of programmers came to iOS for the first time to make apps for the App Store in the big gold rush, everyone looked at Objective-C and was like, what a weird language. There's all these brackets everywhere, and what the heck does that method definition? What's that, that weird syntax? And it looked weird and foreign to them, but the language is actually much better than that once you get used to it. So with Swift, I think we're looking at it now, and a lot of us are saying, this is amazing. 
but it might actually end up being worse than we think because we aren't familiar with it yet. It's probably going to be better than we think, um, but it's going to take just a while before any of us are familiar enough to really make that call. I think it has the same effect as like the new look for like iOS 7 or, or Yosemite. That like when I was saying this back there, when, when they put Objective-C up on the slides now after you've seen Swift for a while, you can't go back to look at the old... Like, I mean, whether it's better or not, like, it, it is, seems it's such a huge leap over Objective-C in terms of capabilities and, like, compactness and expressiveness that it's really hard to go back and look at Objective-C examples because you see all this noise that's not there in Swift. Uh, and it it's has... I don't think we'll, we'll ever be able to go back. It's, no matter how Swift ends up, maybe it has terrible warts or real design problems or whatever, it's clear that Apple's committed to it and we're going to be using it. Well, you guys are. Yeah. Uh, so. It's also kind of weird that, like, it kind of came out as this fully formed idea. Like, you know, they and they mentioned they're going to revise it slightly over time, as, you know, with our feedback, but it, you know, it came out of nowhere... And all of a sudden, it's boom. It's this pretty advanced language with tons of capabilities out of the blue. And f- like fully designed within this little you know, subset, this very small subset of Apple, fully designed here. This is our new language, period. Yeah, it, it, it came out, and it not only wasn't leaked it, or rumored, it wasn't even on people's wish lists. Like, you know, well. we, <laughs> there, there was one of us. But yeah, like, I don't think any of us expected this would come out this year at all. I mean, it, it, many of us, myself included, didn't expect Objective-C to be replaced for the next decade. Uh, and, and you uh, mentioned this specifically, that it's, you know, it's Tuesday. We've only known about it for yeah. 36 hours or, or so. Uh, you can't commit. You're not going to say, hey, I'm, when I rewrite the Overcast download manager for the fifth time, I'm going to use Swift. <laughs> But, Please, it, no. but it does seem like it seems like one of the ways that it, I think it I would bet heavily on it working out and very quickly, you know, like in a way like that, whatever you thought about the iOS seven look when it first came out, whether you loved it right away or you hate it or whatever, I think a year in to the you know, to the week, when you look back at the old iOS, it's like, ooh, you know, it really looks bad. It Lord looks old. And I think that it's not going to take long before Objective-C takes on that look of, oh, my God. We're already there, I think. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and during the presentations, they'll flip back and forth between slides and Objective-C and slides and Swift. And just like John said, the moment you get back to Objective-C, it's like, well, that feels cushy and familiar. But, ooh, that, it's like an old girlfriend or boyfriend, right? You know, it's like at the time, that was, well, I really liked him or her. But now, 10, 15 years on, ooh, they didn't do too well after that. <laughs> wow. But I, the, <laughs> there's uh, two ways, two ways that I think that it, it it's going to get uptake quickly is one is that they're they still have all the same frameworks. The frameworks are the same. It's a new language on top of the framework. So they're not saying we've introduced this new thing and it's all new and it's the next generation thing and you kind of have to go all in at once and oh and we've only done this much of it so far. It's already all of the frameworks, and I think that's huge, and it, it means that you, you can st- think about starting to use it right away. And then I think the other thing is the way that they're really encouraging it and emphasizing it, at least that I've seen so far just in the first day, that you can start taking existing apps and just rewrite one class using Swift right. and you know, just go like that, or just start adding your new, you know, new features in Swift and keep the old stuff. You don't have to rewrite the whole app. You don't have to have a Swift app or an Objective-C app 
they're just Cocoa apps, and parts are written in Objective-C and parts are written in Swift. Yeah, we saw this before with Arc. Uh, what was it, two years ago, something like that? It was a similar situation where, look at this really new cool thing, and you can use it selectively here and there, but clearly it's in everyone's best interest. It's in Apple's best interest. It's in our best interest to, to embrace this and really run with it. And so it's a very similar tact as to what, what happened with Arc. I'm also pretty confident that, you know, if you think about... I think the chances of this being a very good language are very high because Objective-C is a very good language in, in a lot of ways. I, I'm a big fan of it, um, probably just because I know it. I like PHP, but that's... We all know, you know. But if you think about the, the, the amount of thought and criticism that must have come to this language during its development from the people at Apple who decide what programming language they use... Those people are probably not only very smart, but also extremely critical and careful when making a change like this. And so I think it's very, very likely to end up being a very good language because of how it came to be. But what about the small... We were talking about this backstage, too. What about the small group of people that have seen this? Because it has been so secret, and some Apple, some groups inside Apple have been looking at it, but, like, I think... I could test out with all these uh, developers here in the audience, I'm presuming. Like, when they showed you dot, dot, and dot, 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 and explained how they were different... Didn't well, yeah, you what all, the hell like, is that? Right after the slide where they told you about how they don't have fall-throughs on the case statements and require brackets on the ifs, and then, but then we made our own mistake that you're going to regret 20 years from now. We made two different operators that differ by a period that behave differently to make off-by-one errors. I don't think that would have survived like contact with the outside world. And so it shows that, that, the, that the, the group that they have inside Apple, like I mean, I'm not saying it's like insular, but they, they have to keep it secret for four years. All know? right, time out. I'll explain. <laughs> It's called it's a, a, WWDC. It's called a range operator. Yeah, but there's thousands of people out there listening to the show later. I'm talking to them. Uh, so there's something called a range operator, and you can write the, like the digit one, dot dot dot, five, and that returns an array of one, two, three, four, five. It fills it in with. It knows if it are integers. It knows that the ones in the middle are. The dot dot dot. It, it makes sense. Explain counting to the audience. Right. Good job. But if <laughs> if you only use two dots, if you do one dot dot five, it doesn't return the last item. It returns one two three four. The missing dot means don't give me the last one. And so it it makes total sense to a Perl programmer. Oh, no, I think you said it the what opposite. Does that Isn't mean? two dots includes both endpoints and three dots doesn't include the last one? I forget what no, it is. No, no, more dots includes more. Uh, Anyway, I, I didn't come Duh. up with a mnemonic, mnemonic for it out. Perl uses just two dots, and it's a range operator. It's also a flip-flop in scalar context, but don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, but, like, no, that's, that's the type of mistake that makes me wonder uh, about, about it. And, again, they said that we reserve the right to change the syntax. We hope we'll get feedback. So it's not a big deal. But, like, you know, that it, being secret for four years is going to have effects. It really says something. This feature is so bad, it's not even in PHP. <laughs> it's not a PHP yet. Give him time. Yeah. Well, I do think, and, and you know, a programming language is no different in, in broad aspects from anything, even something visual. And it, I think Apple runs into this time and time again with the secrecy and the way you keep stuff secret is by keeping it a small team and not going outside the team. And then the smaller the team, the more likely that there's some sort of blind spot on the team. And when we ever we see a major new initiative, I think... iOS 7 is a good example. And that probably wasn't a super tightly held secret within the company, but it was secret enough that there weren't screenshots that leaked. Um, 
And what they showed us a year ago at WWDC had a couple of really glaring, like, really? You're going to go that thin on the font for mail that I can't see it? Yeah, it's, not, it's not so much a blind spot as that the group that's doing it has a hierarchy. And so even if there's feedback within the group that we think this is a bad idea, if, if the, enough people in charge don't think it is, they overweigh the masses. Whereas when you put it out to the public, then it's, you know... What, however many million iOS programmers out there sending feedback, and that is like, all right, well, we can't. There's no hierarchy among them. It's just a, you know, that's the public telling. Oh, us there that, is. Well, it's not. It's not as straightforward as reporting relationships inside Apple corporate. So, so one of the other things I took away from the keynote yesterday is, and I think it's. I don't see how anybody could deny it. Uh, I think it was a year ago at the the all things D conference, now it's the Recode conference, but I think that's when Tim Cook said that he was going to, Apple was going to double down on secrecy. You know, I think that the question was posed to him along the lines of, hey, you guys are so famously secretive, but you've had some leaks. Are you guys going to open up some more? And he's like, no, no, we're going to double down on secrecy. We're more committed to it than ever. We think our customers like to have a surprise, and we think competitively it's to our advantages. And then other stuff leaks, you know, mostly hardware, and everybody laughs at it. And it's like, aha, Tim Cook says they're doubling down on secrecy, but look at all the stuff that leaks. Uh, I think it's very clear, at least, and uh, uh, there might be some exception somewhere that I'm thinking, but in general terms, the only stuff that leaks from Apple recently is hardware from the supply chain in Asia. That it just seems like there's too many places there where there's factories and bribes and too many people who are seeing these prototype shells coming out and too much money from the case, you know, the people who make the cases to put on the phone who want them and are willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars to get them so that they can have their case ready before their competitors. Um, but in terms of stuff that just happens at Apple's campus, the secrecy, I think, is better than ever, especially, you know, the whole programming language. Um, the screenshots, like Yosemite, I mean, everybody had guesses what it was going to look like, but to, to my knowledge, not a single actual screenshot leaked. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that, that, one of the most impressive parts about the keynote is how much stuff blew our minds, not only because it was major, but because we didn't see it coming. You know, and like, you know, Yosemite is a great example. You know, it even like a week ago, two weeks ago, you were predicting that they would have problems with how to deal with Windows shadows in a new flattened environment because we were all predicting, oh, well, you know, iOS 7 was a radical redesign and so therefore this is going to be a radical redesign and it's going to look nothing like it did before and it turns out it looks a lot like it did before. It just, it's, it's, you know, it's an evolution of the design and it's a little bit, it, you know, it, it's a bigger step than they usually take in one revision but you could see them like making small steps over the next four releases getting where it is anyway you know and and so you know, the, all these crazy predictions that we had that it would look re- crazy you know just totally unfamiliar totally different everything's all flattened with thin lines that didn't come to be and what they gave us is something that honestly just makes a lot more sense yeah it doesn't look like iOS it looks related to iOS you know like siblings who don't even look that much alike, but they kind of look clearly like siblings. It's definitely not like iOS running on the iPad, which is right. what I was kind of worried about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we were all probably worried about that. And and I, I you know, I think when they when they were about to show it, I think we were all probably like, oh, here we go. They're gonna kill our beloved Mac. It's gonna be really weird, and I guess we'll eventually get used to it. But we didn't have to do that. It, you know, it's it turns out it's fine. Uh, what about the icons? Because that to me is the one thing that everybody loves to gripe about. 
And, and in iOS 7, I would say, like, like, at this time a year ago, I would say 80% of what I was hearing was about how fucking ugly the iOS 7 icons were. And it's like, all right, let's just even concede the point that these icons are ugly. The whole OS was redesigned. Can we talk about something else? And I feel like with the Mac OS X, they, they didn't go to a unified shape, which is what I kind of thought they were going to do, because it just seemed... I, I didn't know if it would be the same as iOS or if it would be a circle, but I kind of thought they would, because it seemed like that's the direction they were going, but they didn't. It's, you know, they're just a little bit more iOS-y, but not really. They did three shapes, right? Yeah, yeah it was three. It's like the, it's circular, and then like a tilted rectangle, right? And then, and then, then a rounded rect or something along those lines. Yep. And I actually really like them. I don't know if it's like, ooh, shiny, and I'm just excited about something new, but I actually really like them. I don't like them as much as John likes the settings icon, which is a lot, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I do, I do like them overall. Yeah, and I think it's if you look at what we have you know, today and previous to to uh, Yosemite, it was looking a little bit dated. When you have like a dock full of all these icons that are all radically different shapes, and some of them haven't been updated in a decade, um, it, it it does kind of look dated. And I think this is a nice a nice way to modernize it without being too restrictive, too iOSy. And maybe the reason why we got these this flexibility of having three shapes to choose from, which for Apple is flexibility. Um, Wait, I missed Maybe that, though. Is that actually, like, they're, like the, they're recommending you choose yeah, one of those? It's just a recommendation. People are still going to... It's like oh, on yeah. iOS. People are still going to do whatever the hell they want with their icons. Right, but they've officially said, though, that these are the three shapes you should choose yeah. from. And I and didn't e- know that. And even Apple yeah. will be like, are they going to update Fontbook to be look to have one of the new icons? Like, so there's always yeah. some app that doesn't get the nice treatment. Uh, I didn't know that. Well, and, and I, think that, I think that's why we got these options, because I bet even Apple internally could not decide on any of these shapes to have all of their icons become that shape. So we got choice. Well, the, the one thing I'm also very excited about is perhaps the sea of blue icons on my dock. At least there'll be like a circular blue icon and a tilted blue icon and then a square blue icon. <laughs> so have, be... I think it'll some orange now. I think that'll probably, yeah, that's yeah. probably iTunes true. is red. I think. Right? Oh, I do you, th- do you think it's safe to say, and we can pull the audience in a second, but do you think it's safe to say that the Yosemite design is far less contentious than iOS 7? Only because iOS 7 came first, though. Uh-huh. If this came before iOS 7, we'd be flipping out. Because we wouldn't know that, they, that, that taking borders off the buttons was even an option if iOS 7 didn't come first. Now we're like, thank God, the buttons have boxes around them. Right. Everything's fine. That's honestly my, my... I think I texted Dave Wiskus afterwards when we were talking about you know, how we're going to do Vesper for Mac, and like, I just like all capped it. I was like, uh, buttons look like buttons. <laughs> um... I have it. I have a, a, a review unit or the Apple so gave me running uh, 10.8 already. So I've spent a couple hours on it today, and you do too. Yep. Uh, but you guys haven't really. You, I mean, it's only one day. You guys haven't installed it they yet. They don't no. care about the Mac. Come only on, half no. of us get press passes. You just have a Mac just to open up Xcode, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have installed Xcode 6, which looks good. I played with the playground stuff for Swift, and that looks really awesome. But I, I, the only stuff on Yosemite I've seen is watching over John's shoulder as he was fiddling with it earlier today. We're not special enough to get review units. so I, You know, just poking around and going through settings and stuff, it, I'm surprised, uh, maybe even in a good way, I, I think in a good way, that it's really is mostly a skin-deep change. It's really just a new theme, and, and very little else has changed. Even little things that I really thought were going to go away, like the um, blue or graphite highlight color choice thing, 
which, you know, I know why they did it back in 2001. It was because everybody flipped out because, my God, bright blue, you know, I don't like bright blue. And they're like, all right, here you go. Here's something dull, which I've been <laughs> running for 14 years. Uh, but that, that option is still there. Exactly. Uh, the wording is unchanged. The, you know. I, mean, what, I think what you were, were all afraid of is that it was going to be like Windows 8, where, like, the Finder's gone. All it is is this big sidebar that sweeps in from the side that has a grid of icon or Launchpad is the new Finder, or System Preferences now is a full-screen app and the icons are giant. Like, it's not. It's just, like you said, a rescan. Right. And there's an awful lot of apps that, to me, just look... Just, just the theme is different. Everything else is pretty much the same. There's, you know, a lot of apps that are just unchanged, and I, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. And the new look, at like when you saw it on the slides, you're like, I'm not sure about it or whatever. But when you see it, when you see it in the element, it like, like looking the new Safari when it all kind of comes together, you're like, all right, it's coherent. It is all of a piece. Whether you like it or not, it doesn't look like something slapped together. You can kind of see a continuous aesthetic on it. Uh, which which is nice. I mean, apps that have not been completely converted, like if you just take your app that never knew Yosemite existed and launch it, maybe that'll look odd, but Apple's own apps are leading the way in a reasonable way of saying, this is what they could look like, check it out. And our, their apps are simple. They have like one title bar, or one sidebar, and a source list or whatever. Like I don't know what Photoshop would look like, not that they use native UI, but... Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I think when, I, when I've seen the screenshots and little demos using it here and there, like the most jarring change to me is the the font change which we were all you know like we've been say, we've been thinking for for a long time oh yeah well they're probably going to change the font it's probably going to be a, a helvetica variant we're going to have to deal with that along with as they blow up the rest of the interface you know and that ends up that's like that's like the biggest most noticeable change yeah. to, most of the time i also think that it looks it looks natural on a retina display now maybe that's because that's the the review unit they gave me is a retina macbook pro so that's what i've seen it on but I, I've never thought that Mac OS X looked quite right on a Retina display until now because it just always looked to me fake, like a fake version of Mac OS X ginned up for a movie. Yeah, it's like when you have an HD version of a movie, you can see the actor's makeup. Right. Yeah, that's what it always looked like to me. It's like, and and part of it is the font, but Lucida Grand, whatever you know, however great it was in two thousand one, two thousand two, with our big fat pixels on CRT displays back then. And the way that all the hinting helped the strokes fall on the pixel grid, uh, we don't need to worry about that shit anymore. I mean, we have Retina displays, and nobody doing 300 Not DPI print output would ever use uh, Lucida Grand. Well, the thing about the old look was that all the interest was in the surface details. This looks like it's kind of made out of metal, and this looks like it's kind of shiny or whatever. And when you take all that away, and they did take it all away with the flatness and everything. The only thing you have left to lean on, aesthetically speaking, is sharpness. And so this looks great on a... Re- I think it look, doesn't look as good on a non-retina display. On a retina display, it's like what we have here is cleanliness, sharpness, and right. this theme takes advantage of that. Uh, and I think this, this theme would not be as successful if retina didn't exist. Oh, I, do, I definitely think so. I don't think, you know... I, I, no way that this theme would look... And I, I don't think iOS would either. You know, I don't think there was any world where the iOS 7 look would have ever hit before those devices all went retina. Except for the poor iPad mini, first gen. That's a sad device. That really is. Because we all bought them because they were so small and so light. And it's, oh, man, this screen. And now that the retina ones exist, and you look at that, and you're like, first of all, like, how long are they going to actually keep supporting the A5? Like, you know, we, we lucked out this year, but it's now the minimum. So I'm thinking it's not getting iOS 9. Um, Apple PR will never, they're all, everybody works there is, you know, a pro, and they'll never ever utter, even off the record, a single word that is against Apple's interests because they're PR people. That's what they do. And I remember at WWDC last year after the keynote, uh, 
when I got the briefing and they, you know, what do you think about iOS 7 and do you have any questions? I got to ask questions and one of my questions was, everything you're showing, this all looks great, I really like it, I think it's a great direction, but every device you're showing it to me on is a retina display. What about the iPad mini? Is it gonna get the same look? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, can I see it? And they were like, not yet. <laughs> and I was like, is it gonna look good? And there was like no answer. It was like, yeah, yeah, it looks fine. And then there was like, they, yeah. you know, somebody was there already with like another question, like, you know, how's your son? <laughs> and they're still selling those new, right? Like, right. It, that, that, there's going to be a lot of disappointed Retina, uh, I mean, non-Retina iPad Mini owners in about a year. You know, like I hope this fall they at least stop selling them, and then uh, you know next year iOS nine's announced and no more A5 devices. There's a lot of A5 devices out there. Yeah, totally. Um, the other, the last big ticket thing is that to me, it was the, the the keynote yesterday was a sign of how Apple is playing a very long game in most of these regards, and I think that they've got a years long roadmap and plan, and we only see them on these four month, six month intervals of here's what we have ready for you now, and it's so easy, and I think so many people who misunderstand the company think that in between one and the next, everything they've done is what they've done in between the next. That everything they announced today is all the stuff that they've decided to do in the last 12 months since last WWDC. And so you see it, like you see it, like with the keyboards on um, the third-party keyboards for iOS. And there were questions, people in the press area after the thing, they're asking, like, well, what made you change your mind on these? What, what, you know, is it because they're so popular on Android? You know, is it customers are asking for it? And they said, we've been working on this for years, you know, that we really, you know, and you can argue maybe engineering-wise it shouldn't have taken years, but their explanation is that they've been thinking about it for a long time. I mean, we've been talking about XPC at, at WWDCs for years of inter-application communication and how are they going to do it? And I think that, you know, typical Apple, they wanted to get it right. And that's just a sign of it. People have short memories, though. It was like, wasn't it last year's WWDC where third-party keyboards was, like, guaranteed a lock for the, for the keynote? Yeah. Remember that rumor? Yeah, and then Swipe just, even and then published it, it on their site. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, and, you know, the, the press, to be fair, you know, the, the press usually, most of them aren't as smart as you. They, most of them, you know, they, we ask them to remember a lot. <laughs> You know, in, in this business, we, we ask them to remember a lot. Like, can you, can you name the whatever phone 12 months ago was the iPhone killer that month? The, that we, there's a lot going on in the press. There's a lot of... Uh, Apple keeps dying and being doomed. And, you know, and, and they, they, just, they just can't remember simple things like that, you know, products take more than a year to develop. The one thing they announced yesterday that I that it makes me wonder whether they've changed their mind over the last few years is iCloud Drive. Because it, it seemed to me, that, and maybe that was just the spin at the time before they had the fun function, but it seemed to me that there were an awful lot of people who were saying, okay, with the iCloud documents, why can't you build something that is just like Dropbox? Right. Long story short, just build a thing that's just like Dropbox, but takes my iCloud credentials, and then it's you know it's not like a nasty Finder hack. It's built into the system. And their answer was, you know, I don't know, no. 
And me, maybe, you know, again, maybe, who knows? Maybe, who even knows who's in the audience? There's some poor guy from Apple in the audience who's been working on iCloud Drive for six years and, you know, nonstop with the uh, original vision that is exactly like what they announced yesterday. But I don't know. It makes me think that maybe they thought they could get away with not having a here's where you're going to save your files experience on iOS, and maybe they've come to conclude that that was wrong or short-sighted. Yeah, you know, when I first when I first launched the magazine, uh, I tried not having a settings panel because so I was like, you know, settings panels are are a clunky hack. Let me see if I can just get away with not having any settings at all. I'll just make good decisions and I'll like you know surface things contextually. And it turned out that that was a bad idea. It was it it required me to do other bad hacks that made the overall product actually worse, and I had to eventually backtrack on that iCloud document model storage and, and fi- iCloud you know, file storage, I think, had a similar problem where they designed it in, with, with this goal in mind of let's get rid of files and folders exposed to the user and, and let's make this thing just sync. And it helped that you know, iOS never had, the, never had that from the start. So let's just give these little silos inside of each app and they'll all have these flat lists of files in that app and they won't be able to talk to each other, and that'll be fine. That's kind of how iOS works. And then they brought it to Mac, and it was like, well, they're kind of in this hidden folder buried somewhere deeply in the hierarchy that you're not supposed to deal with, but just trust us, it's there somewhere. Plus, you have all these other files somewhere. Um, and I think that proved to be a model that they, they had this goal in mind of the simplicity, but the, the reality of that, the practicality of, of people using that and, and you know, multiple app productivity and things, just simple things like where are these files so I can back them up? You know, it, simple things like that, the reality made that idea worse in practice. And they would have had to do a bunch of crazy hacks, they tried, uh, to do a bunch of crazy hacks to make it work out that actually made a worse overall experience. And so I think this is them recognizing, you know what, one common place where you store files that behaves like a folder full of other folders, people are okay with that. You know, it's, give people a little bit of credit that folder might not be where you want it to be. It might be their desktop, but people do that. You know, they, they are okay with having all files live in one place for all applications with these little subfolders maybe for some applications. Like, that's a model that works. Dropbox has proven it. Computers before that <laughs> proved it. Uh, people are okay with that. And I think this is Apple realizing like, if we're going to start breaking down some of these productivity barriers between iOS and Mac and everything like that and interactive communication, stuff like that, this, is, this will go a long way if we just give up a little bit of our vision about what iCloud was supposed to be. So are you at all nervous, John, about the fact that they are putting a lot of eggs in the iCloud basket? And I know it's almost trendy to bitch and moan about how iCloud doesn't work the way they say it should and, and so on. But, I mean, it, it seems to me like they're, they're going all in on iCloud, and that could be dangerous. Like, how do you feel about well, that? Dangerous how? Well, just it, it, because we, especially as developers, a, a lot of us don't have any faith in the fact that iCloud is really strong, stable, available, etc. And so now, and now Apple is saying, no, really, we are all in on iCloud. So you guys are, you might as well come along. And I didn't go to the Cloud Kit session today, but I've heard unbelievably positive things about it. So, uh, do you have like, how does that make you feel? Are you nervous at all? Or are you? No, like, yeah, I think it's. Fine. I think it's inevitable. I don't think they have a choice. I think that. Um and again, I might be reading into this. John, you might know because you were actually at the conference all day and not sleeping. Um, but I, it seems like they're not 
doing away with it because if you're already using it, they're going to keep counting. But it seems like the thing that they're no longer talking about is uh, iCloud core data syncing. Uh, they're still talking about it. At the end, oh. of the, at the end of the cloud concession, they were like, "We got all these iCloud things. When should I use each one?" Remember them all: key value storage and the documents in the cloud and, uh, and iCloud core data and now CloudKit. And they went through them all and said, "Here's when you should use this." And when, when they get down to iCloud core data, I thought they were going to say never, but they didn't. <laughs> I mean, they, they they put a brave face on it, but CloudKit does a lot of similar things to iCloud in a different way to iCloud yeah. core data. So I'm not sure they didn't come right out and say we're deprecating the ways that didn't work and this is the new way. But they have they have a suite of things under the umbrella of iCloud, and some of them are better than others. And we're all hoping these new ones are the best yet. Uh, we'll find out. Right. Uh, you know, I think I think they'll make it work because I, th I think that they know. I don't think there's any doubt that they know that they have to do well at it. I think the things you have to worry about with Apple are the things where it seems like they don't, they don't seem to think it's important. Well, they committed to iCloud the first time when Jobs was up there and said, oh, it's not longer a digital hub. Now the cloud is in the middle and lines come out from that. And it's, that seemed like a recommitment to it. But then what they offered was like, yeah, some good, some bad. Now, I'm getting a better vibe from the new stuff because it seems like all the things that you liked that worked well about iCloud these are more like those. Or in the case of CloudKit, this is more like what everyone was doing instead of using iCloud core data. They were forced to do their own thing and they would use, you know, SQLite database with like FC model or FMDB or whatever. This is like that, but with an Apple twist and really awesome and everything. So. And that's actually pretty similar. Like the, what happened between core data plus iCloud and now the new CloudKit is actually very similar to what I was just saying about like how like their original view or their original vision of this is how we're going to do iCloud. It's going to have this magical sync. You just keep using core data. You just, everything's, you keep using it as normal, and it just magically syncs. And of course, that, that wasn't a server problem. That was a design problem. Well, the core data predated iCloud. That was the problem. It's like, well, we have this right. thing called core data. It would be great to put up a slide that says, and it works on iCloud, and then everything will be fine. That, well, that's basically, and they basically, that's what they, when they announced core data for iCloud, that's what they did. And so I think CloudKit is them, again, it's like it's similar to how they kind of made iCloud file picking a little more like Dropbox because that's what people actually need and it's a, it's a better overall design in reality. I think CloudKit is solving many of the same needs as iCloud core data, but it is a much better design for reality. The one thing, and, and you know, no surprise, I mean, everybody knows Apple is an ecosystem company and that they want, you know, stuff is supposed to work better. And we don't even have time to get into all the continuity stuff, but the continuity stuff is an acknowledgement of that, that if, if you have an iPhone and a Mac, you get this amazing feature that you could not have if you used an Android phone, where you can start writing an email and switch to the Mac. Um, and I played with that, and I got a demo of it, and it, 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 it works. It's very, very cool. I can definitely see using it. Um, but that they're adding all these other developer things, though, I think with the hopes of getting more apps to go Apple only. You know, like, um, I think the idea would be, like, take an app like Instagram that had uh, enormous server-side costs because it's photos and lots of users and they want to be social and they want to get a lot of people to sign up. Uh, and I think that iCloud, um, or CloudKit, is sort of a, hey, you want to build a thing like Instagram, don't even worry about the server stuff, and we'll give you really, really generous amounts of, of storage and bandwidth, well, for, for getting it off the ground, right? And, and there's a big question mark. Like, they were like, here, it's free, and you get all this for free. And then there was no, like, what happens after that? I think what happens is you get a phone call from Apple, and, <laughs> and they're like, we need to talk. I'm guessing, though, it's going to be pretty price competitive. That's what I think. Well, it's, it's hard. You know, if you're looking at, let, let's, let's build a business on this, you know. Let's, let's talk about Vesper. 
Right. So the limit that they, they published this in a public document, so I, could, I don't know what the NDA, the NDA situation's weird, it's kind of unspecified, who knows, but the limit is, you know, it's, it's something like 100 megs per user for like, you know, blob storage, and then one meg for database storage. Now, that, those sound low to me, like, you couldn't, it would be irresponsible for you to design something like Instagram, knowing that as soon as one of those users hit 100 megs of photos, something would stop, and who knows what your options would be at that point, whether you'd even have any options or whether, like, the call to CloudKit would just fail with an error parameter. It's, like, it's a lot of stuff that suddenly be outside your control. And right, and, like, that's kind of... It's, it would be irresponsible to build on that, knowing that, like, there's this wall that you could very... You know, it's not like the limit is five terabytes per user. Like, these are, these are limits that are very plausibly hit and exceeded. And... So, you know, what do you do? Do you just hope no one hits that? That's not very smart. But like John said, though, like, it, if you're going to build any service like this, that's like a network-based service that has, like, a cloud backend, you're going to do it on an Apple-only platform? And, like, maybe, I mean, are they the A, a players in the server-side space? And then you're going to, like, because if you start getting big, you're going to be like, oh, we're getting big. We should make an Android version. We should be on the Kindle. We should, oh, and you can't like you're you're ca- you're putting a cap on your potential. If you ever want to be the next Instagram, don't build on CloudKit. But it's great for people who are not going to be the next Instagram. They just want to have a great application. Like I mean, again with Vesper, if you built it on CloudKit, you're going to be an iOS on the Mac. You could use CloudKit. You know, who knows what we would have done a year ago if CloudKit came out a year ago? But I don't think we would have done anything differently. I haven't seen anything that really makes me regret doing our own backend because of that issue. Like, do we have plans to write an Android app? Well, I don't think Brent knows how to write Android apps, so no. Brent can do anything. Um, Come on. But it's a maybe down the road, you know, or a web app. We could even do a web app. Right, we could do a web app. We couldn't even do a web app. And we want to have those options. And our thinking in broad strokes was, well, we could maybe do something quicker if we build it on Dropbox or, you know, had an option to do Dropbox or had an option to do something with the core data iCloud syncing. And then we'd work on our own thing that we'd roll out. But when I, th- I think whenever you make an engineering decision like that and you think, well, we'll do this stopgap first because it's quicker and dirtier and easier and we'll ship something first, and then we'll do the real good version, then you never do the good version and you're stuck with yeah. the crappy one the, forever. The data migration would kill you anyway. Like, right. You'd never want to do right. the good version. So if we wanted to do it eventually, then we should have done it first. And I think that we did it the right way. Um, I think SpriteKit is the same sort of idea. The idea was SpriteKit, and it's a good one. It's not all about lock-in. It's not purely cynical. Hey, write your game with SpriteKit, and you will save all this work, but then you'll be stuck with an iOS-only game. Uh, I think it's, you know, from Apple's perspective, it's win-win. That's what Coco and Coco Touch have done for close to 30 years, is take tedium away from programmers and do a really good framework that you can count on but I wonder, I don't know like what the uptake is on SpriteKit because it just seems to me like most major effort mobile games, more than any other kind of app because of the nature of games, want to be cross-platform or want to be cross-platform eventually. And so I just don't know if SpriteKit's ever going to really take off. You know, I, I think we're looking at this from, from the point of view of, I mean, I'm looking at like something like CloudKit and saying, all right, well, from, a, from the point of view of wanting to design a really big Web service that has going to have you know the six year lifespan and uh, or, or more than that maybe and and uh, you know possibly get to a billion dollar valuation somehow like that's yeah it might not be good for that but there's a massive class of problems that these kind of frameworks solve 
that are on a much smaller scale. Like most developers are not working on things like that. Most developers are working on much smaller apps that like if the alternative is no backend, then CloudKit is really nice because it's it's a backend you can use for limited value or for, for limited purposes, but that's that's enough for tons of applications. SpriteKit very similar. Like yeah, you're not you're not gonna make the next uh, you know, Rovio company on that because you're not going to be able to address all these other platforms without hiring people to rewrite the engine for all of them eventually or convert it to OpenGL or whatever. But that's not what it's made to solve. It's, it's made to solve much smaller needs for a far larger number of developers. And, you know, once you exceed those limits for one of these things, then you're probably big enough that you can afford to migrate. Yeah, so for those of you who've listened to ATP, I've talked on and off about how I really just want a really solid app to share a grocery list with my wife. And reminders will do it, but it's crummy, and I, there's other apps out there. And for me, if I wanted to write something, I don't want to have to worry about VPSs. I don't want to have to worry about a lot of other things. And so something like CloudKit is perfect for this app that I want to write really to scratch my own itch. And, you know, if I make a few bucks off of it, sweet. But I'm never going to be a Vesper. I'm never going to be an Instapaper or an Overcast or anything like that. And that's okay don't with me. Don't say you. that. Well, you know, yeah, you never know. You never but know, man. You never know. Have some but, confidence. Yeah. You, could be a, you could be a non-shipping app with yeah. the Overcast. <laughs> that's true. That is very true. All right. One, one last topic on the, 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 the nerd path. Because um, I, I think it's very telling about where Apple is today. Uh, in a keynote, especially a WWDC keynote, because the event ones are more focused because it's, hey, we've just got this new iPad and we want to show you. But WWDC, you can see what Apple thinks is important based on what kind of stint it gets on stage, right? There's the basic level of, oh, yeah, there's this thing, and it'll just tell you, and it'll put up a slide and a thing, and then it's on to the next topic. Um, then there's, like, bring out a special guest and bring out, like, you know, that, that's, like, at the far end is, like, bring out, like, a third-party and say, we brought them here a month ago, we tied them up in a room and made them write this thing. And the one that got that, the only third party that came on stage yesterday was um, Epic, and that was for Metal. And yeah, that's really, you know, it, it goes against the idea that they were focusing on the consumer stuff, right? Metal, and it's a replacement for OpenGL, and blah, 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 you know, millions of triangles per second. But Apple clearly sees it as important uh, because they spent a lot of time on it and had a big demo. Um, and I think it's so interesting about where Apple is as a company today because it's not just that they've replaced OpenGL, it's that they've gotten out of now the headache of OpenGL is like a, a it's open. It's got like a consortium behind it. And so if they want to get improvements to OpenGL so that it runs better on an A7, they've got to go through this process. And now, fuck all that, right? Like WebKit. Metal is exactly what Apple wants for talking to the GPUs that they've designed. It's like now they've got an API for using the GPUs that was designed hand-in-hand with the hardware guys who were making the GPUs. And that is not something Apple 10 years ago could have done because Apple wasn't big enough. Microsoft could do it, and they did it with... uh, DirectX. DirectX. And Microsoft could get away with it because there were, you know, three, four hundred million PCs out in the world, and a hundred million of them were people who wanted to play games. And so Microsoft could say, "We've got DirectX. You're going to program to DirectX." And game developers said, "Yes." DirectX had the advantage of learning from all of OpenGL's mistakes because OpenGL was older, so it is a little bit newer. And DirectX, Apple, uh, Apple, Microsoft has evolved it 
and it is a very capable API. But I think on the metal front, a lot of that, I think, was coming from game developers who were saying, you've got a great GPU, but you're making us use OpenGL ES, and here's where it's stupid. And like you said, Apple's like, well, it's, we don't make OpenGL. We don't define the standard. We work in the, with the consortium. and blah. It's like trying to work with W3C. It's a slow process. And so game developers are like, well, what about now? My shipping game now, I want to... You know, I want to get closer to the metal, and so they this, they pulled the name right out. And you know, it's like AMD's mantle. Like, it's game developers wanted this. The game developer, and what can Apple do? Apple can't. They're not going to go off and make their own DirectX because that's like, no, that's not what we want. We we know exactly what we want. We know what the GPU is capable of. Just give us more control. So it's one of the rare cases where Apple introduces a new API that's lower level, and that it's because developers wanted it. They said right. we want lower level. Well, and then I think the other way that it'll work and it'll get uptake is that they've clearly, this is one of those things where they were a little open, slightly with a short list, but they had Epic. They've, they've got, like I think, the four big game engines on board already. And so it's the game engines that provide the higher level API that most game developers spend most of their time in, and they just get to take advantage of this 10x improvement. But I, and I know, and I, I know the guy even said like an order of magnitude improvement. But I don't think people, maybe some people, don't really think that that could be true. That like year over year, there's a 10x improvement in graphics. But it's really that true. Well, I mean, it's it's specific cases like OpenGL API that want you to like batch up your stuff and not do a bunch of different calls, but just get it, gather up all your crap and make one call because doing the calls is expensive. And this is saying, well, I got a 10x speed up because I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to do this careful batching and, and trying to play nice with OpenGL. I can just send the calls. And I mean, I don't know enough of the details of it, but it's like, it is a kind of a tailor pick benchmark. I'm like, oh, 10x in this particular operation. But that particular operation happens all the time. And you could work around it the old way, but it was annoying. And they said, geez, just let me talk to the GPU the way it wants me to talk to it. I don't have to deal with this stuff. All right, whatever. <laughs> now, let's take a break. Um, I want to end up the nerdy part of the show. I think that was pretty good. Um, but I have a surprise. And I have a surprise guest from our friends at Apple. And I know it was in the news last week. Um, no, even better. Uh, I have a gift for you, Marco. And it's here from Dr. Dre. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Dre. I read your site, I listen to your podcast, I know that you love high-end headphones. You can, go, you can go ahead and open that. I'll hold this. I think it would be fair for you to throw those on real quick. So we, Is this real? This, <laughs> don't know. So I had Dre, I called Dre, and uh, you know he takes phone calls, wow. he answered right on his Mac, and I said, Dre... Well, we all have his number now. I need the best headphones in the world because this guy is really fucking picky. I mean, I sent him the URL of his headphone comparison. He's like, holy shit, man. That yeah. guy really knows his shit. I got just the phones for him. Beat Studio Special Edition. You know, the funny thing is, actually, I was in an Apple store recently, and I tried these on, and I thought, you know, actually, of all the Beats, I, these actually don't sound that bad. Like, I, I was like, you know, of all the, all, all the ones here, if I had to buy a pair of Beats... The studios are actually the least crappy sounding ones that they make. Way to ruin the bit. <laughs> and, and, and they're overcast themed too. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Top secret. My color is orange. All right. I want to take a moment here. We have one more sponsor for the episode who, who I want to thank. And that is our good friends at Market Circle. Uh, Market Circle has two great apps. You've probably heard of them both because they've sponsored my show before. They've sponsored the site uh, but they have Billings Pro. Now, that's a time tracking and invoicing app. So anybody who does freelance work where you have to t track your time, send invoices. If you haven't looked at Billings Pro, you're nuts. It's a great app. 
they've got clients for all your devices. And when you make your invoice, they've got templates and themes, and they come out looking great. So it's not like some kind of ugly thing where it looks like a, a 1978 Vax printed out your invoice. Really, really top-notch design, great stuff. Uh, and Daylight. Daylight uh, is a software for organizing your business. The way they describe it is uh, it's CRM with productivity features first as opposed to the other way around. So you can actually organize the people who are involved and the people you know in your company in a way that looks like a real nice Mac or iOS app, not some piece of crap uh, typical CRM stuff. So Market Circle, you can go to marketcircle.com and check out their great stuff, but they help sponsor this show and that's great. And the other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to mention this. So AJ is the guy from Market Circle, um, and he's been a longtime fan of the show. And he, a couple weeks ago, I got a nice email from somebody at iTunes about the explicit tag on this podcast <laughs> and the fact that it wasn't there. And, and, and it was just, hey, we're, you know, we all love your show. It was very nice, very personal. And, it was, and we know, you know there's not a lot of swearing on your show, but it does come up occasionally. And we've started to get some complaints from parents. Um, and so I've started, you know, if you look at the feed, there's like at least two episodes from the last five or three or four that have the explicit tag because they're swearing. Obviously this show is probably going to have to have the explicit tag. And that very day I got an email and it just said subject, my son and the talk show. And I thought, oh God, here it is. <laughs> and I almost didn't even read it. I thought, oh, I don't want to read this. And I, I clicked it and read it. And instead it was AJ writing me and he just said he's a 10 year old son and he's a huge fan of the show. And I was like, wow, 10 years old. My son does not want to listen to me talk about any of this stuff. That's amazing. 10 years old. And he loves the talk show. And it's the only show he likes to... Sorry, guys. the only show he likes to listen to. And so AJ said that he'll listen to the talk show because he's been a long-time listener. And then he's, like, driving his son uh, to school or soccer practice or something. And he's, like, wants to listen to the talk show. And he's got to listen to the episodes again because he's already listened to them. And his son wants to listen to them. Anyway, his son plays soccer, and, and a week or so ago, he was playing, and he had got injured. He got a concussion, and he's been laid up since, can't play soccer, uh, can't even listen. He's got, like, headaches, can't even listen to podcasts. Uh, so his son's name is Caden, and I just wanted to say something to him right here on the show, because whenever he's better from this concussion, he's going to listen to it, and I, I hope it's a nice thrill, but I, let's, everybody here in the show, let's hear it for Caden, the 10-year-old fan of the talk show. All right, you lose your mic, Casey. All right, uh, my next guest is my good friend, uh, Mr. Scott Simpson. What's up, San Francisco, the talk show, Worldwide Developers, something, something. <laughs> means clap your hands. I feel like this show, I realized when I was backstage waiting to go up, 
Uh, the show is going to be a mullet. <laughs> this business is over. <laughs> now it's party. Hi, my name is Scott Simpson. Uh, I worked at, uh, at Apple for about eight years, and then I left to do stand-up comedy about a year and a half ago uh, for the money. know that Marco's looking at my butt right now. It's, it's right there, hot. I mean. Um, and it's been going well. And, and if you don't know who I am, um, that's fine. I assume you're a Cretan or some type of hill person. That's fine, though. And I was talking to a friend of mine, like, hey, how can I get my name out there more as a comedian now that I'm doing comedy? And he was like, well, what's your theme song? And I was like, what, what do you mean, theme song? He's like, dude, you got to have a theme song. I was like, I don't have a theme song. He's like, if you have a theme song, then people remember it. They know it's you. It sounded like a great idea. So I sat down with my guitar in my office, and I, I knocked out a little theme song. Do you guys want to hear it? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's listen to my, the theme song that I wrote for myself. theme song. Thank you. Thank you. It was really fun to work with Lil John on that. Uh, my friend Jesse Char has a great uh, uh, idea about Lil John. She's like, you know what? 2014, we have exactly the right amount of Lil John. Like, Lil John's not food. Lil John's like a spice. You don't want too much Lil John. You just want a little Lil John. I took that back to my people, and uh, they were like, you know what? That's great. But it's a little, maybe a little edgy for your, for your crowd. So I, I went back to the drawing board, and I, I, tried, I tried, another, tried another route. So let's, let's hear that next one. Scott. 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 Then they were like, well, it skews a little young, like it's a little poppy, and maybe that's not your style. Uh, try something a little, a little more classic, a little older. So I went back to the drawing board. Scott. I agree with, I agree with you guys. That one sucks. So that one was too old, so I tried like another tack. Scott. She's been living in her world. <laughs> and they're like, the voice is good. Uh, and I was, I was into it because like, I thought I sounded really good on that track. Uh, so they're like, try that same voice. And it's like some setting in GarageBand. 
uh, try that voice, but try it like a little more rocky. Gonna cry in your coffee, but don't come bitching to me. Because you had to be a big Scott. Did you? You had to open up your mouth. You had to be a big cool dad. Did you? All your friends were so knocked out. I realize now that I made too many of these, but we're still gonna do them. And then, you know, we realize, like, it does need to be a little more current, a little more, a little more interesting and fun. Uh, maybe bring it up a little bit in terms of energy. Uh, so let's give this one a listen. She just felt loud. I like big Scots, and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Now when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get... Scott? Wanna pull up tough, cause you notice that butt was stuck. Mix-a-Lot and I agreed that the messaging on that was a little weird. <laughs> so we, we got to this. Let's listen to this next one. Scott. Are you as bored of this joke as I am? <laughs> Fuck you. That was a rhetorical question, clappers. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> All right, there's one more. I settled on this one. This is it. Are you booing me, motherfucker? Get the fuck out of here. All right, there's one more. Scott. I'm used, you want to be loved by anyone. Yeah, I'm going to go with turn down for Scott. I feel like that's the best one. I'm going to live with that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it, is, it is very nice to be in San Francisco. I live here. I know a lot of you folks traveled here from elsewhere. Uh, over the weekend, I want to tell you this uh, brief story. I went to Indiana to uh, perform in a comedy festival there. And when I was there, before I went, my friend was like, oh, you going to Bloomington? Oh, Bloomington's fun, but watch out. They like to drink. And I was like, that's also how people introduce me. Watch out. He likes to drink. So I took it as a challenge. I think I won. I might have lost. I'm not sure. I got drunk the whole time. It was great. Uh, but a couple other amazing things happened to me when I was in Indiana. Is anybody here from Indiana? Clap if you're from Indiana. All right. That's a decent number. Here's what I thought about Indiana before I went. As I was driving from Indianapolis in the airport, uh, I was driving on the highway. It was so beautiful. As I drove, a majestic water bird, like a heron or a crane, a four-foot wingspan, came and flew next to my car. For about a minute, it just flew there next to my car. And I swear to God, at one point, it, went, it looked over at me and was like, I'm pretty sure I got supped by a heron. It was awesome. It was like, it was like the, that moment in Easy Rider when somebody does something to a thing. Whatever. It doesn't matter. 
But I was riding along with this goddamn heron, and it was beautiful. Now we have to use the explicit tag. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Caden. Caden, man, I know you're not going to listen to this, but you're going to get so much puss based on that. <laughs> that applause. Oh, bro. Fucking Caden. Can we sub in Scott for that later? <laughs> It's kind of my thing. <laughs> Scott's 10. <laughs> he had a concussion. And he's ready to fuck. That's not true. I'm not. I'm sorry. Uh, so. Back to Indiana. There I was in Indiana. <laughs> and this majestic bird was flying next to me. And then at one moment, it arced off. And I saw it fly over a large warehouse. And on the side of the warehouse was a bedsheet. And on the bedsheet was hand-painted the word fireworks. (laughs) As I left the fireworks store (laughs) with a bag full of way more shit than I can use in three days... I thought to myself, this is amazing. This is two amazing human achievements, two amazing human perceptions in one day. I got to view, I got to see the majesty of nature. And I also got to experience the majesty of using some shit to blow other shit up. Right? It's great. Like, I feel like that is core to us as people. Whether you believe in God or not, you recognize that the world is a magical, wonderful place. And sometimes you want to make it fucking explode. (laughs) The rest of the weekend I spent in my hotel room listening to Lionel Richie just sitting on a pile of fireworks. (laughs) Not dancing on the ceiling. Hello. I listened to hello on repeat in my underwear surrounded by bottle rockets and Roman candles. And I thought to myself, God damn it, Heartland. There are some things you do right. Like, I'm a California guy. I'm as blue state as they come. But I loved being in Indiana. Because you know what? If a dumb, meaty bro wants to ride around on his motorcycle with his helmet off, that's kind of great, right? Like, I feel like we can learn from... I can learn, certainly, from that perspective. Like, certainly, I believe that a woman has a right to a legal and safe abortion. Thank you. I I think if you believe in it, why don't we clap for that? If you believe in it. I believe in that. I also want to clap for this next one. Uh, I also believe that that same woman has a legal, unsafe right to enough fireworks to freak out all the cats in her neighborhood. (laughs) Right? Like, both of those things. That's great. And what I was going to say, based on that, was, um, you know, I think the same thing sort of applies a lot of times in technology. Like, there's a, a partisanship between two opposing sides, like, like iOS versus Android or something like that. And we really, we really gain a lot when we come together and figure stuff out that works on both sides. I was going to say that. That's boring as fuck. I just want to talk about being in my underwear in my hotel room. <laughs> Turn down for me, you guys. The other thing that I wanted to talk about with you guys specifically... uh, (laughs) Mark, no, nothing, it's cool. You got those sweet beats. I'm going to call you sweet beats from now on. (laughs) It's good. Uh, 
have you guys ever heard of a place called Draper University? No. Uh, ha- has anybody here ever heard of Draper University? A few, a few people. Okay. Okay. You might not like the next half an hour of what we talk about. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Brent Simmons and uh... Chalk. Woo. So and booze and booze. Clap for booze. And Jesse Char. Uh, So I uh, do a lot of stuff in San Mateo. I spend a lot of time at the public library in San Mateo uh, because they have the most relaxed sleeping policy. (laughs) And I've often walked by this place that is an old converted hotel. And I walked past the other day, and in the window were two giant photographs, one of Steve Jobs and one of Elon Musk, uh, looking like he needs some sun, like he always does. And I was like, what is this place? So I did some research online to find out what Draper University is, and I thought I'd share it with you, uh, mostly because I feel like as, as good, we're all good people, right? Like, I feel like we should combat the douchiness in our midst, and technology often encourages a lot of, uh, a lot of that behavior. It's rampant out in the valley. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so that's where, that's where this is. So I looked it up online, Draper University, and I, I, got this, I got this information. Located in Silicon Valley, Draper University of Heroes. <laughs> it's the first sign. Like, it's Draper University of Heroes. And then I remembered, like, a bunch of like young people walking around town wearing this t-shirt that just says hero on it. I'm like, what did you, did you save a cat from a burning building? You don't look like it. Uh, and I realized that they're attendees of Draper University. Draper University of Heroes is the brainchild of free-spirited venture capitalist Tim Draper, a.k.a. the Risk Master. <laughs> I think Tim Draper is a good stand-in for a Silicon Valley proto-douche, like, a, like, a, like the last generation. Like, you know, like he's got like a fun tie and he hates all taxes. I, I thought when you said it, I never heard of it. I thought it was maybe like a Don Draper University. And I, uh-huh. I feel like anybody who would enroll at thinking along the lines that I'm thinking is probably going to be very disappointed when the classes start. Like, they probably think classes are going to start like this. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We do a shot, and then we learn how to harass. Right. <laughs> you unlearn all those classes you took. Apparently, it's a very different university. It is. Um, so what they say on their website... Top-of-the-line website. It's not. It's terrible. Um, We are an unconventional, world-class, residential, and online school for the brightest young entrepreneurs from around the world. Our core curriculum... All right. Our core curriculum includes some of the following topics. Media training, negotiations, various topics in finance. They just gloss over the stuff that's actually a school subject. And then they dive into other things like lean startups, creativity crash course, design thinking, innovation, 
and some other terrible stuff. Uh, and so I was like, what, what is it? So I looked further. I watched a video. There's a great video online about Draper University. Um, instead of desks, students sit in colorful beanbag chairs. <laughs> And the video is great because, like, obviously he had this idea. He's like, oh, this will be great. We'll be unconventional as fuck. We'll just sit in beanbag chairs and bandy about great ideas for how to change the world. And you see the kids in the beanbag chairs, and they're, like, sliding down. (laughs) Did you have a beanbag chair when you were growing up? No, I wanted one, but I was not allowed to have one because I was told before we ever even tried it that it would break and make a ginormous mess. You had good parents. Yeah, that's the, like the beanbag chair is the great lie. It's like the hungry, hungry hippos of chairs. Like it seems like it's going to be the best thing in the world. And then you get it and somebody swallows a marble and you're in the emergency room. Every common area and hallway is covered in whiteboard paint for brainstorming. And there's a shot of the class schedule at one point. Uh, one of the classes is called Futurology. Just making up words. And then there's a, there's a, there's a, a quote from a, a, an article about the university. Earlier that day, I watched Draper change the agenda line for a planned activity, a gathering of Draper U students and his daughter's college friends. He changed it from Mixer with Sorority to Heroathon. <laughs> The private school is not accredited. (laughs) And never will be, Draper says. That's a box we don't want to be put into. Oh, the actual university box. So here's my favorite part. Uh, And then I have a question for you you guys. Uh, At the end of the session, each student doesn't receive a a BA or a BS or, again, an actual degree. Every student receives a CA, which stands for... Can you guess what CA stands for? Creative Achievement. Creative Achievement. That's a terrible guess, John. (laughs) It's actually a fine guess. stands for Change Agent. (laughs) Which sounds like what Ebola turns into when it's human catchable. Like... (laughs) We, we could have given John six months, and he never would have thought of that, because it's such bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You just proved yourself to be bullshit-free. <laughs> All right, so here's my favorite part. In lieu of diplomas, Draper U students receive masks and superhero capes. <laughs> Printed. <laughs> Guy up front said, No. Uh, They receive masks and capes printed with their superhero nicknames. Gets better. (laughs) And are instructed to jump on each of a series of three small trampolines placed in a line in front of them. (laughs) While bouncing from trampoline to trampoline, they're told to shout, Up, up, and away! (laughs) Then they assemble for a group photo. What a bullshit place! (laughs) So why... Why are we doing this show instead of doing a show where all of us go there and videotape it? That would be great. I also thought maybe we could do a Kickstarter where we all send John to... (laughs) 
It's a, so again, it's called a university. It's an eight-week course. So it's an eight-week course that costs $10,000, which frankly is not that crazy. For, I mean, you get breakfast. I thought maybe we could, we could uh, because actually the application deadline, this is true, the application deadline for the summer quarter, I think they call it, even though that's a lie, is tomorrow. On the application box, on the application screen, it's an online application. Uh, there's one box that just says, tell us a story. <laughs> Which I love. Uh, but then I realized that you have to be 18 to 26 to go there. And I, I don't think, like, we could doctor know the fuck out of you with some makeup. Uh, but I don't think there'd be enough to, to, to make you look 26. To make you look 26, yeah. Uh, but then that got me thinking, too. Look, Traper, you, let's just work to combat that element of bullshit tech speak and entrepreneurial mumble jumbo. Mumble jumbo, I just said. Um, but I thought maybe, well, here's my dream. My dream is this, not Draper you. My dream is Gruber you. <laughs> Gruber University. I don't know, not of heroes. But I don't know what that would look like. And I thought maybe you guys could help me out with that. I think John already told you, it's like Mad Men University. That's true. <laughs> it's still called Draper University. <laughs> So there's a lot of drinking. There's no suits, though. Morning classes, no. <laughs> no morning classes. Well, you'll s- have classes. You'll have classes at 2 in the morning. Wow, that doesn't count as a morning. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm in a poor position to judge. I feel like, it's, uh, I feel like you guys maybe would, would have better ideas than me. Well, is the curriculum anything outside of mixology? Or is that, <laughs> yeah. pretty, much, is that pretty much the extent of it all? No, I have other interests. I mean, it'd be a wide range of curriculum. But, but they all just fund. They, it, 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 We'd have yeah, a very good that's baseball true, team. Actually. That's right. But you went to school and you did like the student things. You were in the school newspaper. You did right. all that student. So the Draper University and Draper, sorry, Draper University's got to take you through that arc of like once he was a good student and belonged to the newspaper and was, you know, and then you got to transition into the Don Draper. Oh you know? it's yeah, an arc. it's an arc. That's you know? genius. The Gruber Memorial Rotunda. That tells the story of your life from a young, shitty kid <laughs> to a middle-aged, shitty man. It is true. I'll tell you, it's funny you bring it up. I didn't know you were going to bring this up, but I, I, I've been haunted my entire life by dreams. Uh, and it's very common. Everybody has. But dreams of school unpreparedness. Ex- you know, in the dream, it's exam day or there's a big homework assignment. And it's like, oh, my God, I blew it off. But why would I blow it off until now? It's due now. Shit. And, you know, and then it's a very unpleasant dream, and I'd feel stressed out because when I was young, I wanted to get good grades, et cetera, et cetera. But I've, I've started, like, in the last few years, it's really me in the dream now, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally had a dream that I grew up, my parents' house is across the street from the elementary school I went to, literally across the street. And I had a dream that my high school social studies teacher, who was great, great guy, Mr. Choika, uh, and he taught us, like, civics and stuff and, and taught us cool, cool shit to teach high schoolers. Like, hey, when cops come to your door, you don't have to let them in. And we use that, like, high school parties. It's like, 
no, you cannot come in. And so, nobody else knew that. He was a great teacher. And in my dream, <laughs> some, for some reason, he's teaching in the elementary school. But it's, I'm in high school. And he's just like, and, the kid, and, and I'm there, and it's, people are noisy, and I'm annoyed. And Choika, Mr. Choika goes, I could use a fucking drink. And I said, I could get one. My parents' house is across the street. <laughs> and he goes, that'd be great. And, and I said, what do you want? He goes, well, we've got to make it look like water. What? I swear to God, this is a real dream I had. And, uh, oh, this is the dream. I thought this no, was a real thing no, that happened. No, never happened. I no. stopped listening for a second, and I was like, no. your teacher was the best teacher. No, it's like the, my dreams of being in school now, it's just me. I'm like, yeah, I'll get you a drink. And I went across the street. And the funny thing is, and I got him like a gin and tonic, and he told me to, in the dream, he told me to put extra pepper in it. I was like, all right, you're the teacher. Uh, and the funny thing is, my parents don't even have gin in the house. I don't know. But in my dream world, they do. And I think I would go visit them a lot more. Can I just, uh, quickly, quick aside, somebody in the front, does somebody in the front have an iPhone that they would be willing to use? Would you be willing to use? So would you keep track of the Gruber University core curriculum for us? Uh, let's see, 9, nine to 10 at 10 a.m. Uh, it's blank. Uh, 10... To 2 p.m. is blank? Study hall. Study. <laughs> uh, uh, 2 to 3 is Yankees. <laughs> 3 to 301 is Yankees suck. <laughs> 301 to 302 is that lady gets unmatriculated. Um, well, we have to address um, grading, you know, evaluation of, of, of the students in, in uh, Draper Gruber University. Uh, you know, because what you said about, you know, you used to care a lot about grades until you got smarter and realized, you know, so just f- forgive me, this, this, is a, this is a bit of a risk, but I, I think probably not. How many of you out there uh, were A students? Okay. How many of you out there were C students? The C students exactly. always have a way more uh, fun reaction to that. Well, how, how many? How, I, I would guess that on average, uh, and this is totally out of my ass, uh, on average, C students probably do better in reality than A students. Because the C students That's are the what ones... what C students tell themselves, anyway. That, too. Because the C students were the ones who figured out that you don't have to do about 80% of what they assign you in school. Right, so I think part of Gruber, Gruber Draper University uh, would just be, you know, you, you don't tell anybody this for a while, and then like, you know, senior year or whatever, last week of it, you take any everyone with a GPA of above like three point eight, and you guys fail. Sorry, that's brilliant. You that's didn't get brilliant. It. You've wasted way too much time studying on this nonsense. Exactly. That's brilliant. you did everything we asked. Why didn't you question that? You know, there. there I remember when. Um, uh, Bushy was the president, and and there were you know famously it was not the sharpest pencil in the box, and, and didn't have a terrific school record. There was actually news stories about that. Uh, there is a correlation to achieving C level positions in major Fortune 500 cor- corporations and having extraordinarily mediocre <laughs> scholastic records. You that, just have to be a psychopath for that, though, right? Right. That well, it's the, there's even a phrase for it. It's the gentleman C. That, you know, that, that as long as you put up a modicum of effort and, you know, you're not going to never show up for class. You're going to show up and you're going to take the exam and fail terribly. They'll at least give you a C. And that is the people who take advantage of that rule and are like, well, wait a second. 
If the worst I can do is a C, I can do nothing. Yeah, I, I never did homework. I, I literally did zero homework for my entire academic career. And I always almost failed some classes here and there and got A's in the easy classes here and there. And I came out okay. I almost even graduated. All right. So I think we can... I think we can probably guess that that, that, that description does not apply to John. <laughs> you would guess wrong. I also did not like doing homework at all. I just did enough of it to get A's, but... <laughs> oh, what an asshole. <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I did not want to do homework at all. I thought it was an affront that I should ever have it. And now my, I get it back because now my son comes home and thinks it is like the worst injustice in the world that when he comes home from school, there's still more school to do. Right. Well, Felt the same way. He's a, right. You're no, but you're, nobody would ever accuse you of being a type A personality. Type A is I've got to be valedictorian. And if I'm salutatorian, I'm going to find a loophole where the valedictorian, uh, you know, took a weird class in seventh grade and their 4.0 should be a 3.999. That's not you. Well, this is what I said in my report card every year for my whole life. Not working up to potential. <laughs> I've got them all saved. It's every teacher but, after teacher would write it. I, but I don't think anybody is surprised by this. I think, you know, this comes very clear. And, and, and your baseline of the minimum work to get an A. And I, you probably did more work to figure out what the minimum work is to get an A than the actual work <laughs> that you did. Like, you probably knew exactly. Oh, well, I, I, it wasn't work. It was more like subterfuge. How many notes home can I hide from my parents before, right. before they find one? This did is you, probably a CPAN module somewhere to calculate did you, all this. Did you know your grades? Like, were you ever surprised by your report card? Did you know your grades? No, I knew my grades. I mean, I was, yeah. I was, with, I was with the nerds. Like, the valedictorian was my best friend, right? Oh, were I you, knew, I knew were you with the, the nerds? You were with the nerds? Yeah, the, <laughs> look, come on. Look, look, where you, look where you are, sir. <laughs> That's true. I'm the one who's going to get beat up, for sure. Nah, y- y- you can pass. All right, but Casey, Casey, to me, you're a mystery man. Where, where did you fall on this? Like, what kind of a high school student were you? So, so when I was in grade school, when I was in middle school, total, like, I will do every bit of homework. I'll ask for extra credit. Total freaking nerd. And then around, and then around high school, I realized, I just don't fucking care. And so I was a terrible, I was an okay high school student. I was a terrible college student. Marco and I, I think, could probably get into a pretty serious pissing match over who was the worst student in college. <laughs> but yeah, so then I just realized, well, it's enough to get by. And all that matters in the end is that I have a, a degree, not a, what it was, change agent certificate of authenticity, whatever it was. And, and that's all I needed. You, Scott, were you a good, good college student? Well, much like Casey, um, at a certain point I realized that, uh, that that stuff wasn't important and I, I stopped being as, as, um, as rule-following as I was. Um, for me, that moment came when I was 37. <laughs> I was going to say, it's when you left Apple, right? Yeah, I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, it's stupid. It's stupid, but uh, you know. Uh, for me, it was it was the wrong thing, and I finally like was like, okay, I can I can jump out of this this path that I thought I had to be on. I, I was stressed uh, throughout my college career because I uh, I went to Drexel on. Ooh. Well, Drexel Drexel has a slogan much like Draper U. Drexel has an official slogan. It's we're right next to Penn. <laughs> that is their slogan. Uh, 
I, I forget if I've ever told this story. I don't know if this is going to be too long. But the long story short is uh, I, I, I was an okay student, never really cared about grades, but I was an exceptionally talented test taker. I, I have truly gifted at taking things like the SAT because it was like being in the Matrix where I could see why they were asking the question. I couldn't even answer it, but I can see clearly they mean C. I don't understand what these words mean, but I, 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 I could understand the SAT at a meta level and scored very, very high. This was in the early 90s before they rescored them and let people get high grades. But uh, in like 10th grade, I took the SAT as a test. Like, uh, this isn't for real. We're going to take it for real next year. And when you take the SAT, at least you did back then, you'd say, what schools do you want it sent to for free? And I did, hadn't done any research on where to go, and I picked basketball schools that I liked. I picked North Carolina and Villanova and Syracuse. Uh, yeah, I picked all the Big East teams and, and everybody but Duke and the ACC. Uh, and I had no intention of going to any of these schools. And, and there were still open slots, and my friend who was with me, his sister went to Drexel. He goes, put Drexel down. They're cool. I was like, all right, Drexel. And I got a really high score. I got like a 1420. And then I go the next year, and I got a 1460. And by that time, though, I knew where I wanted to go. And I had this list of schools, and it was a lot more practical. And I said, and Drexel wasn't even on the list. And blah, blah, blah. And I thought I was going to Penn State. And one day the phone rings, and it's somebody who's like, I'm somebody from Drexel University. I want to speak to John Gruber. And I said, yeah, that's me. And they said, yes, we'd like you to come to Drexel on a full tuition scholarship. And I said, uh, well, what do I have to do? And I'd already been filling out all these essays for scholarships to other schools. He was like, um, can you play badminton? <laughs> they, their answer was, you, you, well, you need to apply. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, Seems like then, work already. <laughs> I was like, I was like but, but then, then what? And, and uh, like, no, that's it. And there, we, we have a... We have a we're, we have a policy where if you've scored a 1,400 or higher on your SAT, you can come to Drexel for free. You know, it's and pronounced SAT. <laughs> it's a more efficient way to yeah. say it. Well, it's a Tim Cook. It's Tim Cook. And, and, and I was like, well, that, you mean that's all I have to do is apply? And then I go for free. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, well, what is tuition? Because I didn't do any research. And they're like, and this is 1991, so it's, I mean, it's probably like $50,000 a year now. They're like, it's $16,000 a year. And I was like, and I don't have to pay any of it. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh. And I got off the phone, and my dad was like, who is that? And I was like, I don't know, it's Drexel. I guess I'm going there. Because <laughs> it was like I had, I don't know, I was complicated, you know, money for college is, it's crazy how much college costs. And we had this complicated thing where we were taking out loans and all this stuff. And, uh, and the only catch was I had to keep a 3.0 grade point average for my whole academic career. No and it deal. Was, it was very, very stressful my first two years. But then I, start, I knew other people who had this scholarship. And the backstory of it is that Drexel is really, well, maybe they're better now. But when I was there, they were really not a good school. And they had really low average SAT scores. They were like a safety school. And so their idea for raising the average SAT score was, we'll let people who score 1,300 or higher go for half tuition. And 1,400, you go for free. And so I ended up like, like uh, uh, I had like six roommates in a big apartment at one point, and like half of us were there for free because we'd scored 1,400 and couldn't go to a good school because <laughs> we couldn't pay for it. But then I figured out halfway through my, my college career that the, there was a grace period on the GPA thing. Like they don't just like you, you fall to a 2.9 and they're like, oh, sorry, you have to go. You, you get like a, I don't know what you call it. Just, just to note... Uh the, the daily curriculum, three to four grace period. 
But I liked it. I had a good time there. I think I finished with like a 3.00002 like GPA. It was incredibly close, but I never did dip down and I never got the, the letter. I think about this a lot, especially having moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. So when I, when I was on the East Coast, also it was the early 90s. It was like you go to college. It's just what you do, obviously. Um, but then coming to the West Coast and seeing all these people achieve amazing things without ever having gone to college and also watching college tuitions go from super expensive to what the Caden It used to be like you'd buy a car for college tuition. Now you could buy like a really, really nice car. Yeah, you can buy a nice car. For like the whole, you can buy like four cars for, for the four years. So, it's not that expensive. You could buy a Tesla. You could you could buy four Teslas for the cost that it goes to, or for I the. I think you know how cost. much college costs, Casey. Or Casey, Margo, you'll find out. Yeah. So how you many guys, people, let's uh, pull the audience. How many people here went to college? Well, well we got to hear clap, it. I clap. can't. We can't see shit. All right. Okay. How many people graduated from college? And how many people never went to college? I love you guys. Those are it's my a people, small number. Right. They're the people who got smart. At an earlier age, right? So do you believe that college is necessary? So for folks like this, for, for you know, going in the world of like being a developer or something like that, do you need to go to college still? I don't know. I think you need to go to college if you think you do so that you can learn that you don't. That's really profound advice, but I totally can't believe it with those beats around your neck. <laughs> This, this lends me credibility among the youths, right? Isn't that why Apple bought them? The youths. Youths. Did you say youth? Uh, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else? What, what, do you want to talk about school? I mean, we should wrap up soon. But... Uh, school's great. Love school. School is good for the life stuff. Like, it's good to learn how to drink in college. Uh, it's good to learn how to live by yourself for the first time. That's nice. So there's an adulthood element to it. But I, is it worth $60,000 a year? No. But while we're, you know, open kimono, life story, pouring it all on the table. I went to college. I, I did not drink. I started to drink slightly while I was in college, but uh, uh, didn't really start drinking until, like, my mid-20s. Yeah, I actually had a fairly similar experience. I vividly remember it was one day over the summer before I'm about to go to college. I went to college at Virginia Tech, and um, and my dad sits me down. My no, dad... just just to note, nobody applauded for Virginia oh, yeah. Tech. <laughs> Thank you. I know it's all right. I'm the other guy. It's fine. No, but uh, so my dad sits me down. My dad sits me down, and he and he puts something in front of me. For like, I can't remember what it was. And he says, "You need to drink this." Oh, okay, you're going to drink more than one. What is it? And I took a little sip, and God knows what it was, and I probably choked it up. How old were you? I was 18, because I'd never really had booze before. And my dad basically sat me down and said, you're getting fucking hammered tonight. So this way, when you go to school, you know what this feels like, and and, and you will be okay. Casey drank 11 Melantinis that night. It was easy on the teeny, too. Dad, why are you, why are you giving me melantinis? Shut up. Drink it. <laughs> Did he also make you smoke a whole pack of cigarettes? No, no, no. None of that. None of that. None of that. But no, that, that, that was my first real drinking experience. And then I you know, drank a little bit in college. And, and now, now supposedly drunk me is somewhere in the audience, or so I'm told. So. Let's hear it for drunk Casey out in the audience. Mystery. 
The mystery tweeter. There used to be a drunk Gruber account, but then the, the guy stopped updating it. Yeah, and cirrhosis. <laughs> it took him. Pour one out for drunk Gruber. <laughs> what, do you, what do you used to do is try to guess which tweets of mine I tweeted while intoxicated. And it was funny because he was pretty good, but not that good. It was like, you know what? It is pretty late, but I'm actually stone cold sober tonight, and I actually just tweeted that. Now, uh, you, you never really were drinkers? I know you got it out of your system yeah, when you were in high school. I did school. all my drinking in high school, then it stopped. Uh, it pains me is so Is that true? Deeply. No, is that true? Yeah, no, that's totally true. Like, in high huh. school, it was like we'd, we'd have the guy with the receding hairline get beer at the gas station, and we would all drink. Wait, so then... you knew Marco in high school? No, yeah, I was saying... <laughs> Zing. There, there is a function. There is an evolutionary niche for those people. But... Bold move for the guy holding Marco's microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good one, though. I wasn't going to have Casey come out. I was just going to, you know... <laughs> I'm glad I did. Let's hear it for Casey with the zing. I'm glad I've earned my keep after all. No, I, I did not drink a lick in high school. I, I had friends who did, and they'd have parties. And I was the official, uh, just in case the cops show up, this is the guy who paid attention to Mr. Troika's class and knows how to deal with it guy. Yeah, write down Mr. Troika dream. Four to five. Yeah, that's a class. That's a That's a... Yeah, yeah, it's semester you class. talking about your dreams that you had about your high school teacher. So, wait, so can we go back? Can we explore what drunk John was like? Like, I, I, I never got drunk. Uh, you're the worst. <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised by this, but that, that's terrible. I, I just, I envision like this really chipper, happy, like touchy feely John. Like, hey man, give me a hug. Like, oh, that, it's no. all in your head. Yeah, I know. That's my dream. That's my dream is meeting drunk John. What was the high school drinking situation like where you went? Was it like a go-out-in-the-woods type of situation? No, it was was people, it like people's houses with parents weren't home, totally. Right. What is wrong with those parents? <laughs> right? I mean, now that we're adults and we're the parents, the idea that I would leave... Maybe see like if you were my son, then I think ah. Oh. Well, I had, had had them in my house too. Right. You know when you've got the kid who's going to have a party when the parents go. I away. bet that's exactly what my parents thought, but they were wrong because it's not like I made the party. It's just like whose parents aren't home? Okay, everyone go there. I did not think that we would relate on anything. <laughs> my mother uh, was a uh, she 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 met a man. And she, he lived in Minnesota, and so she would travel to visit him, and she'd be like, well. The house is yours. Take care of it. And I was very similar. Like, she just trusted me. What a bad idea. Uh, it, was, it, was part, it was a party every time she left. It was crazy, and it was fun. Um, I'm pretty sure because of those parties, I was voted most well-rounded in high school. <laughs> like, that's the only thing that I did. I didn't do sports. So I think that was what it was for me. So there's actually so I I was left alone all summer for for most high school summers. Cause, and That's just because they forgot about you. Yeah. <laughs> and I am actually such a nerd that I didn't do anything bad. I'm actually more of a nerd than John Syracuse on something. Well, you had nicer friends. I mean, I had people were bad influence on me. I wouldn't have done it on my own. I was I was roped into it. Oh sure, yeah, it's it's their fault. You were left at home for the whole summer. Yeah. My my mom is a teacher. She would go upstate. 
in upstate New York for the summer, and I would go when I was younger. But then when, once I got older, I, you know, I, I didn't want to go up there. I wanted to stay with my friends in high school, and so yeah, I was like you know seventeen, eighteen, alone all summer. It was awesome. And you just stayed home, like drinking soda and playing video games. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I, I was doing all this crap, programming, and all that. Yeah, that's that, that's why that's how I got started programming. I was instead of being having a social life, just like probably many of you out there, I was. <laughs> I, I was doing that. <laughs> so at that point, you were in college, and then you went to the actual college to not really do anything productive. So that was right. your college. Well, yeah, in college, I, I just uh, found new ways to be a nerd. You know, just just more more. You know, I, I drank somewhat in college. Fish. But, you, know. you know, I have a very yeah, vivid. I have a very vivid memory from my freshman year of college. Of I'm in the dorm. And my roommate was a guy I went to high school with. He was actually the guy who uh, told me back in 10th grade to put Drexel on the thing. And we, you know, went, and I didn't want to take a random roommate. I, that seemed like a sucker move. So I was like, oh, why well, we should be roommates. Even, you know, we weren't best friends, but it was like I knew I could live with the guy. He pledged a fraternity. A lot of the guys on my floor pledged fraternities, and they went to these fraternity parties. And I remember very specifically what the game was. I stayed to play Leisure Suit Larry. 8-bit boobs. Right, and I felt like I was being pretty badass. There were boobs in the game. Uh, four to five, five to six, where are we? Five to six, uh, Leisure Suit Larry. 8-bit yeah. boobs. We're getting late on time, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else? Uh, any more stuff? All right, why don't we wrap it up? I would like to do some thanks. I have a lot of people... Uh, well, no, a couple people uh, that I would like to thank. I would like to thank Megan uh, here at Mezzanine and the whole staff at Mezzanine. What a great place this is. Uh, we did this show here last year. I hope we do it again next year. Uh, but what a great place. It's just a great facility, but the staff in the bar, everything's great. So thanks to Megan and everybody here at Mezzanine. Uh, Jesse Char, uh, she helped produce the show. She's here in San Francisco. Um, she runs a place she runs a uh, uh, app design development shop Pacific Helm PacificHelm.com they do great work They're, they do such good work it's probably hard to, to get in on them but if you need to add, check out need somebody to help you design or develop an app check out Pacific Helm great stuff uh, I want to give a special thank you to someone who, who I should have thanked a couple episodes ago but Caleb Sexton Caleb Sexton uh, is here. He's helping with us with the audio, make sure everything sounds good. But he was at Mule. He, he's at Mule Radio, um, and I should have thanked him a couple episodes when I did the show with Mike Montero on the last show that I did while the show was on Mule. But Caleb uh, has been helping me with the talk show ever since I've taken it solo, and uh, everything good about the audio quality and the editing and finding funny little things to stick into the audio for two years. Uh, uh, 99.97% of that is from Caleb Sexton. And I, I should have thanked him two weeks ago, but let me thank him tonight when he's here. Let's give it up for Caleb Sexton, my friend. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, Microsoft, for sponsoring this big event. Microsoft, check out Azure Mobile Services. If you haven't looked at them, they're great. Um, Market Circle, with their great apps, Daylight and Billings Pro. And uh, probably the biggest applause here, but our, our good friends at uh, 
Who sponsored the bar? I forget. The email company. The cool guys who make it easy to do an email to a lot of people. I don't get it. Oh, yeah, MailChimp. No, but let's hear it from MailChimp. Uh, oh, also, uh, shooting video tonight. I don't know when it's going to come out. We're going to hopefully release this at some point. But uh, a couple of guys here from... Uh, they're putting together a documentary called App the human story. And it's a documentary about the rise of apps as like a thing that we care about. And like even probably just like a word, like the fact that everybody like in the developed world knows what an app is now. Uh, they have a website, appdocumentary.com. They're going to do a Kickstarter soon. It's not open yet, um, but it's a really cool idea for a documentary. I think it's really sort of a story of the decade in tech. Uh, they're here shooting video to, to, so we have an archive of the show. Uh, so let's hear it for them. Stay tuned to Daring Fireball. I'll tweet when they have their Kickstarter. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, you four gentlemen, Marco Arment, Casey Liss, John Syracusa, and Scott Simpson. Thank you. And, and last but not least, thanks to all of you for coming. Uh, blows my mind that so many people come to see us uh, be up here and be dummies. Clap for John's cool purple shirt. He's branching out. Give it to him. What a delightful man. John Gruber. Clap for John. He's the best. Dr. Right? John, right. Provost. <laughs> I think that's the end of the show. We'll call that. We'll say the show's over. We're in the postscript land. I think we're technically supposed to be out of here by 9. It's 10 of... You know, you guys want to have another... I don't know. If they, they close the bar. I don't know. But we, you, you don't have to rush out. Let's calm and orderly. If you want to chill, if you want to chug another drink, have another drink. It's all on uh, MailChimp. But thank you for coming. Uh, but we got to get out of here 10, 15 minutes. Thanks.